Hello, and welcome back to the Cuse Conversations podcast. I'm John Boccasino, Senior Internal Communications Specialist at Syracuse University. The main vision is really to empower and amplify and tell the stories of the amazing research that's happening here and the amazing creative activities that our, our faculty are pursuing. Faculty really want to do research and creative activities and they want to engage our students and our students want to be part of this. This is what makes Syracuse special and, and unique that we're a big university with a um, you know big research program, a lot of diverse research and creative activities from the sciences, humanities, social sciences, sport management, all of these amazing kind of programs going on, but we're small enough to actually know each other. And one of the things that we ran successfully over the summer were Office of Research Summer Socials, where we got people engaged in research to come together and talk to each other. And it was faculty from all over campus who came, who were on campus over the summer, pursuing their research and creative activities, talking to each other, sharing ideas. And that's where you get new ideas, new collaborations, new uh, creative and research opportunities generated. And that's been my vision to, to, to develop a culture of research and creative activities, to enhance that culture of research and creative activities, and, and to help faculty and students pursue new opportunities. Our guest on this week's episode of the Cuse Conversations podcast, I am thrilled to welcome on Duncan Brown, Syracuse University's Vice President for Research and the Charles Brightman Endowed Professor of Physics here at Syracuse University. In this role, he supports and empowers Syracuse's internationally recognized creative and scholarly excellence and advances centers and institutes that are global leaders in their field. Duncan also leads the Office of Research and its component units, which really serve as a critical backbone of the university's research, scholarship, and creative support enterprise. Collectively, these efforts help students and faculty expand their knowledge through innovation, creativity, and discovery. Duncan, thank you for making the time to join us. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I know, uh, as I mentioned with your, your introduction, there's a lot of hats you wear and you really play a critical component. And I think a world that a lot of our podcast listeners might not be aware of, the complex reality of, of research and getting funding uh, for research projects on campus. How would you describe your role as the vice president for research? Yes, so my, my job as Vice President of Research is, is an interesting one. And it's one of the things I like about this job is just how varied the responsibilities are. At the end of the day, my job is to support the faculty and students um, who are pursuing their research and creative activities at Syracuse University and to amplify, to make it as seamless as possible, to help them find new opportunities, to help them pursue the things that they want to do. Because Research and creative activities are essential to the university's mission, right? For a lot of us, you know, I wear a hat as a faculty member here. I've been a faculty member in physics since 2007. And, you know, I love teaching. I taught Astronomy 101 for many years, taught large enrollment classes. And one of the things you said, you know, the part of my job that I really love is where that research meets the teaching and my ability to do cutting edge research in the department and then kind of walk downstairs into a lecture theater and tell our students about it and have them involved. And then through programs like Source, our undergraduate research program, get them engaged in the research activities. So there's a lot that, that goes on within the Office of Research to, to make that happen from very dedicated staff in the Office of Research who help faculty 
match their ideas to funding opportunities, right? Help faculty pursue the things they want to do all the way through kind of the nuts and bolts of compliance, a lot of government regulations. We get a lot of government funding that comes with uh, um, all kinds of compliance regulations and just to make it as seamless as possible for the university community to pursue those research and creative activities. What made you ready? What made you want to take that leap from being a faculty member and a key researcher to heading up this department as a vice president? So my research career has been building things. I I started in um, what was what is now called gravitational wave astronomy, but in those days was just called gravitational wave physics um, back in ninety nine. Um, and and I came to the to the US. Um, I did my undergraduate degree in England and moved to the US to do my PhD. And what lured me over here was the um, the opportunity to get on the ground floor of of a project called LIGO, the Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory. And when I started in LIGO, the concrete had been poured, the steel had been put together, but we were still building the detectors. And it would be um, 16 years later in 2015 when we first actually made the first detections of, of gravitational waves from colliding black holes. So that, you know, 15 years or so until the, the you know, advanced LIGO made those first detections was a process of building. It was building collaborations. It was literally building. It was building <laughs> instruments. It was building electronics. It was building processes, standard operating procedures. You know, this, this, it was writing code. It was teaching students. It was mentoring. So a lot of kind of building these things. And, and, and one thing I really enjoy is, is working in a large collaboration and bringing people together. LIGO is a worldwide enterprise. There are hundreds of universities involved. There are many faculty, many students from all over the world, and it's a collaborative enterprise to bring these people together to deliver this amazing goal of proving Einstein right, that gravitational waves exist, and discovering black holes. So that being kind of my research trajectory of um, uh, working on building this, this global project, this international collaboration to detect gravitational waves... Um, after it was successful, we discovered black holes, we discovered neutron stars. There was an opportunity to give back to Syracuse University. Syracuse got involved in, in gravitational waves very early. They got in on the ground floor. They hired Peter Solson, uh, a mentor of mine who's, who's now retired. You know, He was the third faculty member hired in gravitational waves outside of Caltech and MIT. So Syracuse has invested in this field, been very forward-looking for a number of years. And when I was offered the opportunity to be vice president for research, I'm a builder, I like building things, <laughs> but it was also an opportunity to give back to the university and say, okay, the university supported my ability to build my research program and deliver these amazing things and collaborate with all these amazing students and, and, and people. So in the VPR role, I can kind of give back to the university community and help facilitate that for, for other, other faculty and, and students at, at Syracuse. I love the analogy of you as a builder, both based on your research and now again in this new role here as VP for research, because as a builder, you have to go through and be a collaborator. You've got to be a planner. You've got to be a communicator and you've got to bring on all these different factions. But when you took over this job and going through to now, what would you say has been your main vision for the research enterprise here at Syracuse University? I think the main vision is really to empower and amplify and tell the stories of the amazing research that's happening here and the amazing creative activities that our, our faculty are pursuing. Faculty really want to do research and creative activities and they want to engage our students. And our students want to be part of this. This is what 
makes Syracuse special and, and unique that we're a big university with a um, you know big research program, a lot of diverse research and creative activities from the sciences, humanities, social sciences, sport management, all of these amazing kind of programs going on, but we're small enough to actually know each other. And so faculty know each other, our students know each other, the, the students know the faculty. And so you have that ability to make connections that we're big, but not too big, that people don't know each other. You don't have a community here. And one of the things that we ran successfully over the summer were Office of Research Summer Socials, where we got people engaged in research to come together and talk to each other. And it was faculty from all over campus who came, who were on campus over the summer, pursuing their research and creative activities, talking to each other, sharing ideas. And that's where you get new ideas, new collaborations, new uh, creative and research opportunities generated. And that's been my vision to, to, to develop a culture of research and creative activities, to enhance that culture of research and creative activities, and, and to help faculty and students pursue new opportunities. How have you seen the breaking down of the silos when it comes to research, where people, departments sharing with each other best practices, you know, tips that have worked to get research published, to get funding in? How have you seen those silos kind of been coming down since you came over? Yes, bringing those silos down has been has been a major focus of my of my activities. And, and you know, the team that is kind of leading that from within the Office of Research is our new um, Office of Research Development. So the Research Development Office is... Um, they're in, they, they, they operate at an office of research level. So they operate at a university wide level, but all of the, uh, with the exception of, of, of the head of the office of research, uh, Chetna Chinisi, all of the research development people have hybrid appointments in the schools and colleges. So, um, each member of the research development team is associated with Maxwell, with arts and sciences, with engineering, with folk and so forth. And so they have that grounding in the colleges and the schools and colleges to, to know and interact with the faculty. But they also have this office of research, um, uh, appointment that lets ideas flow between that research development team. And then they can help bring faculty together and say, Oh, you know, someone over there is interested in this and someone over there is interested in this. Why don't you work together and maybe pursue a bigger project than you could, you could pursue alone? Um, or maybe this is an idea that's going to influence your research directions, or maybe it's an idea of getting students from another college involved in, in this activity. And so that's one of the things I've focused a lot over the last year is building up this research development team to, to bring faculty together and de-silo the ideas. Backing it up a little bit for the research in general, when you look around at Syracuse, what exactly makes us as an institution stand out as being a premier research institution? I think we have some, you know, we have real strengths here in in many of the areas. And if you if you look at the academic strategic plan, it it, it was a real ground up um, effort to um, really surface from the faculty, the students, the staff at Syracuse University, what our areas of distinctive excellence in research are. And if you look at you know human thriving, emerging technologies. Um, the areas, global diversity, the areas in the strategic plan, we have real, you know, internationally recognized strengths in these areas. You now, our Aging Studies Institute that's just upstairs from me is internationally recognized. We have a high energy physics group that is building one of the critical detectors for, for um, the Large Hadron Collider at CERN in, in Europe. So they're leading an international uh, collaboration in the in the sciences. We are, we have so many of these of these of these well recognized programs our school of ed 
a school of education, the Center for Disability and Inclusion, is again, you know, world class, leading leading the uh, um, leading the the field in, in disability and inclusion research, together with faculty in the School of Law who work on 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 disability policy and law. And so we have all of these strengths at Syracuse that our students can also interact with. Right, one of the great things I love about being a faculty member at Syracuse is a lot of the work that we that I did as a as a faculty member involved our undergraduate and graduate students. They're really the the heart of the academic mission. So what does it mean to, to have research excellence at Syracuse? It means faculty doing world-class research and creative activities, but bringing our students together and along with those activities. So you can come to Syracuse and you can be involved in this cutting edge research. You don't get lost in the crowd. You can work with a faculty member who is discovering gravitational waves. You can work with a faculty member who is studying the impact of net zero carbon policies on the development of the, of the Gulf states, for example, petroleum heavy states. How is net zero impacting global policy in these, in these, in these aspects? So that's kind of what is what really exciting about, like you say, our, our, our big, but not too big size that, that we can we can have this research diversity and have the engagement. And before I ping back to my next question, I do want to go off of what you just mentioned there. I think a really fascinating component. And our podcast listeners, we had the pleasure of having on Provost Ritter and Jamie Winders on over the fall talking about the academic strategic plan. What exactly did you bring to the table for the academic strategic plan? And what how did you want to emphasize the benefits of the research component in the ASP? Yeah, so I, I co-chaired with, with Vivian May, who's a, a colleague in, in the College of Arts and Sciences and, and director of the Humanities Center. Um, so Vivian May and I co-chaired the, the research and creative um, working group of the, of the academic strategic plan. And that was a very exciting group to work with because, you know, we, we got together as a group and we looked at the whole research and creative enterprise at the university. And so, you know, people maybe from the outside look at the university's research and creative enterprise and say, well, there are lab scientists over here. There are, you know, mathematicians over here. There are creative writing people over here. There are, um, you know, education focused people over here. But uh, our, our similarities are greater than our differences at, at Syracuse. And one of the really exciting parts of, of being in that research and creative working group was to look at the whole university and look at these common threads of the things that bring us together and the areas of distinctive excellence in, in research and creative activities that, that bring us together. And that together, you know, we're, we're, we, we can be world-class in these areas. And so the opportunity to do that, to get to know the faculty, to get the input from the, from the university community, to get input from students, to get inputs from staff who critically support the entire research enterprise, you know, to, to synthesize that together into these areas was a great opportunity to get to know that entire space, which sometimes you don't always see day to day and, you know, as, as a faculty member or a student, you know, looking at your piece of it. But it was it was a fantastic opportunity to, to look at that and great experience, a lot of work, but it was work that I think was, <laughs> uh, um, was, was well spent to to build the strategic plan out and to see these areas that 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 bring us together. Anytime you can play a critical role in mapping out where a university is heading, I think it's so exciting, not, not just to be uh, pay attention to the past, our great accomplishments, but to be setting goals for the future to keep us where we are. As again, I mentioned earlier, a R1 designation. It's a world-class leader in research, according to the Carnegie Foundation for the Advancement of Higher Education. How significant is that designation? And what does that do to help set us apart from our peers? 
to be R1, it says we have this activity on the Syracuse campus. So if you come here as a faculty member, you come here as a student, you come either an undergrad or a grad student, or you come here as a postdoc, you're coming to an environment that has a, a healthy, productive, exciting research environment, and that's the place you're coming to. And with your history here, having been at Syracuse since 2007, I know we've always prided ourselves on the research, but it took a little bit to get to that R1 designation. What do you think pushed us over the top as far as the key components, the key strengths of our research that really impressed Carnegie and, and have maintained that status uh, for years to come? I think it's a, the the growth in our um, in our in our research productivity. I mean, we've had sustained growth in our in our research productivity. We've had initiatives like the the ongoing um, uh, uh, faculty hiring initiatives to bring in you know new research active faculty, um, emphasizing kind of cross disciplinary research, cross cutting research, but also emphasizing the disciplinary as well. So really building this strong foundation of disciplinary research and then looking to build these interdisciplinary bridges on top of it and forging new collaborations both within Syracuse University and collaborations with other universities as well, partners in the region, um, places where we can partner and, and as a group be great in the sum of our, some of our parts. So I think it's this, this, you know, sustained push to really emphasize the research and creative mission of the university, both in the humanities uh, and STEM and the social sciences across the campus. It's critical that all of these go into go into the, the the Carnegie ranking. It's not just you know it's not just lab sciences. It's not just the humanities. It's not just one particular area. It's the combination of them all together that that distinguishes us in the uh, in the classification. You mentioned earlier there's a wide cross section of research that falls under your umbrella as the VP of research. And you know we, we could spend hours breaking down the different school and college research components and the impact that it has on campus. But if you had to kind of, from an overarching theme, quantify the impact that our research that's being done on campus, what exactly, how are we making a difference when it comes to our campus and the world that we belong to? Fundamentally, research is about expanding the frontiers of human knowledge. Um, and And, you know, your research trajectory starts as an undergraduate at Syracuse University. You can start to get involved in this cutting edge research, you know, even from, you know, as, as, a, as a first year student at Syracuse University, you can begin to engage, you know, you've been taught in your classes by people who are pushing the boundaries of human knowledge in so many different areas. Being able to sample that across all of these different areas of, of the university with um, both in the in the College of Arts and Sciences and in engineering in the professional schools, um, you have this opportunity to get engaged, and then and then you kind of make this transition from a consumer of knowledge to a producer of knowledge as a graduate student, right? Typically, when you you know you're probably producing some new knowledge as an undergraduate, but it's not your primary. You know, you, as an undergraduate, you you know you're primarily learning new knowledge. Your primary you know in that first stage of your training, doing research projects along the way that are generating some new knowledge. But then when you become a graduate student, our graduate students at Syracuse, they're really at the forefront of transitioning between consumers of knowledge and producers of knowledge. That, like I say, that dissertation is, that is, you know, another substantive piece of original research that nobody has ever done before. Some creative activity that, you know, that, that, that just makes the world a better place by bringing something new into the world that is beautiful or exciting or, you know, develops us as a society, our, our, our culture, our history, our art, you know, bringing all these pieces together. And then as faculty members being able to, you know, you know, lead and, and, and participate in this, in this research creative enterprise is very exciting. And that, that's, 
you know, for me, it's about the excitement of doing this, and it's about the uh, um, uh, enabling enabling everyone to, to 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 pursue their 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 ideas. What are some of the research projects that you're most excited about heading into your second year as VP of research? I'm very excited about starting to think about climate policy, climate change. And I think something that, that Syracuse has is, you know, we have a very strong, you know, Maxwell School of Citizenship, you know, has that very strong policy aspect. And then we also have um, people in the science disciplines. And I think it's bringing that together, that kind of policy and, and, and science interface. That's where things are going to happen. We have a um, the Autonomous Systems and Policy Institute, I think, is going to be something very exciting moving forwards. You know, one of the, the cliches in the field is we'll probably have self-driving cars before we have the laws that govern self-driving cars. <laughs> um, that, you know, what, you know, what does it mean to have autonomous systems in human society? And, and it, it means different things in different places. I mean, in, 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 um, Western society, people are maybe less friendly to robots, right? Robots are often, you know, you see the Terminator movies, you know, we kind of, <laughs> have, you know, you know, robots that are out to get us, but then, you know, maybe in, in other cultures, robots are seen as more friendly, you know, home helpers. And so, and so it's, you know, you have this kind of global diversity of these, you know, approaches to kind of one problem. What does it mean as we build out more autonomous systems? What does it mean as, you know, as as AI systems improve, what does it imply for society? What's imply for policy? And and pushing the tech forward itself is another is another exciting area. So, I think you know th those policy aspects. I think also the arrival of of Micron in Central New York and pushing the the high tech sector in Central New York is going to be very very exciting. It's going to transform the local economy over the next over the next uh, um, decade as we see that investment in uh, semiconductor manufacturing um, that we just haven't seen in central New York or really in, in, in the US at that scale before. So I think as um, uh, Micron builds out, we're going to see an expansion of our college of engineering and computer science. We're going to see more opportunities for our students. We're going to see the city itself transformed. Um, we're going to see new jobs coming in, developing the economy. Um, how's that going to affect people? How's it going to be done in an equitable and fair way? And again, Syracuse can um, Syracuse University can play a role in both the technology development, the advanced manufacturing, providing um, uh, the, the highly skilled workforce that these companies will need. But not just Micron, the startup companies, the supply chain. You know, the you know business students who are experts in supply chain management, all the way through to people studying the the, the education, socio economic impacts of this type of once in a generation investment that the that the uh, um, the federal chips investment is driving so I think there are a couple of areas where I think we're going to see very exciting developments over the over the coming years the autonomous systems Institute is a phenomenal resource here on campus a lot of leaders on campuses across the world are really struggling though with artificial intelligence from your perspective what role do you think AI can play and what role should it play when it comes to the research scope? AI is 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 very exciting in the sense that um, it, it's it's giving us a new set of tools to look at um, uh, at the world. So if you think about you know personally, I think that you know AI in the sense of you know conscious machines are are, are not just around the corner. That is something that is so. When people talk about AI, what we're really talking about are 
a set of advanced algorithms that we describe as, as artificial intelligence that are empowering us to do new things in new ways, right? And so it's, it, it, I, I get, you know, it can be scary when you talk about artificial intelligence, again, because like we're saying, in, in a lot of, you know, Western society, you think artificial intelligence, you think Terminator, you think, you know, robots <laughs> from the future, right? You know, that's what AI is. But what really is AI? You know, AI is a set of algorithms for processing information and generating information in new and interesting ways. And, you know, just like in my own discipline, you know, we typically don't do long calculations, pencil and paper anymore, as you may have done 50 years ago when you've got Mathematica and, and, and you know, computer algorithm programs that can do those types of calculations for you in many cases. It frees you to pursue other areas. So AI properly applied would is a tool i think that will actually help enhance research and creative activities because properly applied it will you know it will take a set of tasks off the human plate that it can do just like i can type in a bunch of calculations press shift enter and my computer will evaluate them in you know 30 seconds and some that might take me three days to churn through a calculation if i was doing it pencil paper and looking things up in books i can move more quickly i can i can i can do more work so i think ai properly applied will let us do more things. Now that will have positive impacts, it will have negative impacts. And what those positive impacts and negative impacts will be is, is one of the topics of research of, of the Autonomous Systems and Policy Institute. I wanna give you another opportunity to kind of delve into your goals and your office's goals when it comes to student research and faculty research. One of my primary goals, so I'll, I'll talk about faculty research first. Um, so one of our primary goals is to really support the research enterprise and make it as easy as possible for faculty to pursue these research and creative activities. And some of those things are kind of the exciting high level things like building out the research development team where we, um, you know, where we can have, you know, bring faculty together and generate new ideas. And some of that is just the logistical work of making sure that, you know, we have the staff at the university who are well-trained, well-supported to, um, administer grants to help faculty apply for grants. I mean, we have an amazing office of sponsored programs at Syracuse University that met, unless you actually write grants, people probably don't know about, but you know, any grant that goes through Syracuse University is goes through our office of sponsored programs and they interface with the federal government, they interface with private foundations, they interface with corporations to, to do the logistics of, 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 of getting the funding that helps support the research enterprise that then flows to faculty and students and other areas. And just having that be as seamless and transparent as possible, that that faculty and, and, and students can focus on their creative and research activities and, and be well supported. And our staff who, who make it happen, that they, they can be well trained and well supported um, uh, in, in their efforts to, uh, uh, to enable, enable these activities. Where did your passion for research come from? I think, you know, I, I was, I've always been interested in research from an early age. I think, um, uh, you know, I, I was, you know, kind of sciencey kid when I was, when I was younger and I was, I was fortunate that, you know, my parents encouraged that. And, uh, you know, I, I think every toy that I was, you know, had for my birthday was disassembled within about three weeks of receiving it. And my <laughs> parents were very patient and supportive of the fact that the toy they had just purchased for me is now in my bedroom floor and probably isn't going to be put back together again. Uh, and so, so, you know, I, I, you know, I've always had a, a curiosity and a, you know, series of excellent teachers, both at the, uh, you know, at the, at the, 
at the at the high school level and at the university level who've who've always kind of you know encourage me to you know pursue my research dreams to pursue you know to to dream big um i mean i remember when i started graduate school my my phd advisor said you know you could be the student who discovers gravitational waves and then 16 years later when we did it he turned around and said i, I never said you would still be a student when it happened so <laughs> <laughs> but but I've, you know i've been fortunate to have that kind of encouragement i think that's something that I and you know my colleagues in the Office of Research and many other Syracuse faculty members like to you know instill in our in our own students um, as, as as we help them find their path and their excitement for for their research and creative activities. In this role, you've walked the walk and you've talked the talk, so people know that if they come to you or if you give some advice, you know what you're talking about. How would you describe your approach to your own research efforts? Did you have a philosophy? Did you have a style that you tried to embody when it came to tackling a project? So I, one of the things that I, I've, um, I, I've been adamant about in this position, so I, I have an administration position now. I'm, I'm not a regular faculty member any, you know, to, to the extent that I, I pursue those types of day-to-day activities, but I, I, I've really tried to keep my research activities going. Um, and, and so I have, I have, Two postdoctoral um, uh, researchers in the physics department who I work with on neutron star astrophysics. So um, the physics of a of, of a star when it when it dies, certain classes of stars form neutron stars, which are these city-sized atomic nuclei. Um, that if you can understand the way these neutron stars behave, it tells us about the structure of matter, um, the nature of nuclear matter, and and the uh, the fundamental physics that governs the the nature of matter. So I, I I I'm keeping that that research program going, and in fact tomorrow I'll be in the in the physics department all day meeting with uh, meeting with with colleagues and and students and postdocs to to work on exactly that. You asked me about my style. My style is very collaborative. You know, I like working with people. I like working in a big group. I like working with students in groups of students. I like facilitating my students to work with each other. I like, you know, we've, we've been very lucky in the gravitational wave group in Syracuse that we've had a lot of support from the university. So we've, we've, we have now, I, need to, I actually need to count, we have uh, five faculty members in the group now who span you know, the very kind of technical side of building the gravitational wave detectors, working on lasers and optics and, and uh, um, you know, cutting edge quantum optics to measure these tiny, tiny little disturbances of the gravitational waves through people who work in my own field, like astrophysics and, you know, the implication and trying to use gravitational waves to study neutron stars. And you all need to work together to do that. So if I was to, you know, one word to summarize my research style, it would be, it would be collaborative. I think you mentioned mentorship playing a strong role both in your role as a researcher and for the students here at Syracuse too. In your esteemed opinion, what role does a mentor play in the lives of our student researchers? I think mentoring mentoring is very important in the, life, in, in the lives of student researchers because it, it can be kind of scary when you first begin your research and creative journey that learning in class is very structured. Right. There are there are, you know, there are reading assignments, there are homework problems, there are essays you write. So there's there's a lot of structure. But as you transition to research and creative activities, they become much less structured. And that 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 lack of structure can be scary because like, well, what do I do? What if what if I don't have an idea? Right. What if I don't know what to do next? And so really the role of a mentor is to kind of scaffold that transition between you know the very you know structured learning of 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 high school or the early undergrad experience to an experience that can be 
a little bit unnerving because you don't know, you know, uh, one of the things that people often struggle with in my discipline, you know, maybe they can be, you know, very strong students, you know, very good at solving problems, but then they, you know, they'll present you with a piece of research. Say, well, is this correct? I'm like, well, well, there's no correct answer. The universe doesn't have solutions at the back of the book. I mean, maybe it does. <laughs> We're going to have to wait a long time to get there. Right. But so, you know, so there, there is no, you know, particularly if you're looking at something where you're making an observation or, and, and just, I mean, this is where, you know, Vivian May and I have, have, have talked a lot about, you know, how the humanities and, and the sciences are part of the academic strategic plan. Often there are more similarities than differences. You know, there is no right way to, you know, for, for, for a piece of creative work to look. There's sometimes no right answer for a piece of science work, right? You, you make an observation. This is what it is. This is the best we can do based on the knowledge, based on the theories we have. And we've advanced knowledge, but we're not saying this is definitively the right answer. There's not, it's not seven, you know, 42 to, um, you know, make a Hitchhiker's Guide to Galaxy reference, right? There's no answer <laughs> to life, the universe and everything that we can write. 42, and now there you go, we're done. Uh, and so, and so, you know, making that transition, that's the role of a mentor to, to help, you know, there's no right answer here. Just like there's no, you know, there's no correct, you know, short story to write. There's no, you know, there's no, you know, there's no right question to answer next. There is what we do, the ideas we pursue and the directions they take us. There are ways you can do things wrong. Don't, don't get me wrong, right? You can, you can do, you know, you can do all kinds of research wrong, right? You can get wrong answers, you know, but, but there's no, but, you know, this is a tradition where it's like, there are, there are wrong answers, but maybe there aren't clear right answers. And we're just, you know, building one step at a time, human knowledge moving forwards. Speaking of no wrong or no right answers, I do want to get your thought on, for our audience who might not be aware, uh, as you were spending, you had your PhD in physics from the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. You spent three years as a postdoctoral scholar at Caltech, and you got to work alongside and study under a pair of pretty prestigious researchers and a pair of Nobel Prize laureates, Kip Thorne and Barry Barish. What did you learn from them and how beneficial was that mentorship experience for you? Oh, it was working with with Kip and Barry was was a was a privilege. It was it was amazing to I was very lucky to be a, a postdoc at Caltech. And this is this is in from 2004 to 2007. So right before I came to Caltech. So we were, you know, really in the midst of of, of building advanced LIGO, the machine that would would make the gravitational waves happen. And I was very lucky when I was at Caltech that it was an era where Franz Pretorius, um, who's been a friend of mine since those days, is Professor at Princeton now. He just solved what was called the binary black hole problem. And the binary black hole problem was simulating two binary black holes going around each other is incredibly computational challenging. You can't do it pencil and paper. You have to do it on a computer. And people have been trying to get computers to simulate two black holes going around each other for 30 years and, and haven't succeeded. And, and Franz actually actually produced the first binary black hole mergers in my first year as a postdoc at Caltech. We were both postdocs in Kip's group. And one of the things Kip said was, well, Franz, you're a what we what we call a numerical relativist. So someone who does a combination of pencil and paper and computer simulations. Duncan, you're a gravitational wave physicist. You work on the detectors. You think about what these signals are going to look like. You two should work together. And 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 you two should collaborate together, and um, you know you should look for the points of the interfaces. And so, with a group of us, we we worked on that interface between numerical relativity and 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 the analysis of signals from gravitational wave detectors, and and work that collaboration, working you know working across those 
you know, it, it's all physics, but, you know, fairly, you know, hefty disciplinary boundary within physics of these people who do these computer simulations, these people who build gravitational wave detectors, you know, we forge kind of a, a new um, approach to doing this under Kip's mentorship and, and supervision that then when we detected the first signals, 59914, the, the binary black hole signal, the same group of us who were then, you know, tenure professors and our students were saying, okay, well, we know how to do a computer simulation of this, right? So when the paper was published, it had the gravitational wave signal, it had the computer simulation, it had the two together and extracting the astrophysics from the source. And so, so that was very, you know, that was a, a, an awesome time. And I, I learned a lot about collaboration from, from Kit. Barry is an amazing project manager. I mean, he he really helped make LIGO happen. And so, so watching Barry, who comes from a high-energy physics background, you know, building a machine like LIGO is just incredible. And, and Barry was the, the director of the LIGO laboratory when I was a postdoc. And so learning from him about big science, about how you bring these teams of people together, delivering a common goal where people maybe want to go in different directions, but we're all, you know, in it together to produce the same big science output at the end. So again, I had the the mentorship of Kit and the mentorship of Barry, and both of those pieces have been very, very influential during my career. Your expertise from your work as the vice president for research. I know there's a ton of departments you work with on campus. You mentioned Source. There's too many great campus partners to mention here in your role as vice president for research, but I know our students and our faculty are in great hands. This has been a fascinating and an eye-opening conversation. Duncan, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast and giving our audience some insights into a world that they might not know a lot about. Great. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for checking out the latest installment of the Cuse Conversations podcast. My name is John Boccasino signing off for the Cuse Conversations podcast.